the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. Welcome back as we head into hour two of our daily three-hour tour. We are getting into political season in a big way just about now, and we're going to be uh, going through it up until November. State elections, local elections, obviously federal and congressional and Senate, as well as gubernatorial, not just here, throughout the country. And uh, we're going to do it uh, and get analysis uh, from uh, my favorite political consultant. We're blessed to have him in Arizona, George Kaloff. Uh, he is the managing partner of the Resolute Group, the Resolute dot group. You can find him at. He's also the uh, president of Data Orbital, which does a lot of great numbers crunching and statistical analysis. I was having lunch. Just give you an idea of George Kaloff. I was having lunch with someone in in our community here. Uh, George wasn't there. And I was uh, mentioning some work I was doing with George. I have done some work with him. And um, this person says, man, you know, George, is he's going to be the next Frank Luntz except good, <laughs> meaning he's going to be that big. And uh, we are glad and uh, delighted and privileged and honored to have him here in Arizona. George, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Seth. You I, uh, I, I appreciate the kind word. <laughs> you betcha. Well-deserved, well-earned. Um, yeah, we're, let's start talking about high political season, which is beginning now. Uh, people started seeing some ads at the end of last year on TV. They're hearing ads on radio. People are starting to report uh, some financial fundraising numbers. And, of course, the big story over the last, well, several months, but really accelerating in the last couple few weeks has been redistricting of our congressional maps and our legislative districts. Let me start at basics, George. A lot has been said about Arizona. How red a state are we? How blue a state are we? Have we changed much over the last decade? What's your sense of the political makeup of Arizona? Sure, sure. And I'm going to joke first, Seth. You you said that we're just getting political season (laughs) underway. And I I chuckled. I was like, oh, my God, I think we paused for two weeks in November of 2020. And... uh, and we were right back off to the races. I thought but you were going to say what week he was up. Okay. All right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Fair enough. But, but uh, you know, Arizona, and I have this discussion often because people want to peg. I mean, well, people want to peg any state. People want to peg Arizona as a purpling state, yeah. a state that's going the way of Colorado in particular. They love to compare us to Colorado. Not Virginia as much, but Colorado is our sister western state. And, I mean, the underlying data doesn't prove that out. To okay. me, Arizona is a state that, yes, is in a swing category in the sense of you cannot firmly place it in one party. But very clearly, Republicans have an advantage in Arizona. That advantage has shrunk. But for reasons that we can you know, unpack today and, sure. and you know, in upcoming weeks as sure. we get closer to the election, it's not it's definitely not on the track of Colorado. And actually, if anything, over these last couple of years, I think it's going to now turn a course and turn around and become redder. Uh, for a couple of uh, cultural reasons that we're seeing kind of happen around education and some of these cultural issues. So I would say Arizona is a swing, don't get me wrong, but definitely is still a Republican-leaning state. What is it uh, What is it that has made it a swing state, and what is it that you think uh, uh, augurs for a turnaround? Yeah, so 
I mean, the thing that I love about Arizona, I wasn't born here, but I moved here when I was a young kid in the mid-90s. Uh, the thing I love about Arizona is its Western vibe, and I think that actually is what makes it and is what made it become more of a swing state. The, the, the independent-mindedness of an Arizona and the mindedness I know of a political hero of yours, a Barry Goldwater, people of that ilk, it cuts across both parties. It, it definitely results in our, you know, in our voters that are registered as independent. And so that independent-mindedness causes them sometimes to vote for Republicans, sometimes to vote for Democrats. But that independent-mindedness is also the underlying factor of why I believe Arizona is still a Republican state, because they want to be left alone. They want government to do certain things, but then they want to be able to take care of the other stuff. They want to be able to dictate, and this gets into why I think there's going to be a turnaround. They want to be able to dictate what their kids learn. They want to be able to dictate where their kids go to school. They want to have those opportunities and options. And I would say our Hispanic population here, which we know Arizona is growing in, and this is why I think there was a lot of discussion about Arizona purpling. So, oh, look at what's going to happen to Texas. Look at what's going to happen in Arizona. You know, uh, there's, a, there's a political party that, I, quite frankly, I think took Hispanic voters for granted. And the voters woke up one day and said, what happened to the party that I've been voting with? Yeah. And I think over these last couple cycles, we have seen a course correction in Arizona. Actually, in Texas, it happened earlier than it's happening in Arizona. I think that it's going to happen in Arizona even quicker and Hispanic voters are now voting more so for, for Republicans, still majority for Democrats, but the gains that were anticipated, I believe, by some pundits did not come to fruition, is the bottom line. Okay. And and we saw that bore out in the 2020 election. We're definitely going to see that in the 2022 election. Okay, good. And so we're going to have, I mean, there's a lot of races taking place in Arizona, and I guess... Uh, between our gubernatorial, clearly the Senate race and some other races. But I guess that Senate race, I'm guessing the national media is going to be focusing a lot on that Senate race. Pro- is, it, is it going to be the most covered Senate race in the country or, or among them? I think it will be that in Georgia. Okay. I think both both of those senators came in at the same time, Mark Kelly, Raphael Warnock, right? So mm-hmm. if not the most covered, it'll be in the top two. Of course it's going to be. I mean, look, there was an announcement this morning that Senator Kelly raised $9 million. I mean, that's nothing. I mean, that's, that. by the way, in three months, this is not in the last year, like in the gubernatorial numbers, which we're going to be talking about. It's nothing about. like we've seen In before. three months. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But but look, there is more money swimming around in politics today than we've ever seen before. So, yeah. uh, you know, look, there's going to be a lot of money. There's going to be a lot of attention. And it's because the more tumultuous D.C. is, the worse it becomes for the party in charge. We know that. History bears that out. We have 100 plus years of, of political data that is tracked. This year is going to be no different. There's a party that has a trifecta of power, right? The Democrats have a trifecta of power in D.C. It always is tougher for that party to then hold on to their majorities in the midterm election right after the presidential election. Always. And, it, and not it, a single it, year that that has not been the case. And it does not look good right now, policy wise, for the Democrats. Of course, you know, we have 10 more months to go. But as of now, I mean, what you're saying would be even all the more underscored, right? 100%. And actually, it's worse than, it, than it's been, I think, in the last at least number of decades. Why? Let's compare 2010. We don't even have to go back to 94. Okay. For those that remember in 2010, there was an immense wave, mm-hmm. an immense wave in the Republicans' favor. I think it was something around 63, 64 seats were picked up in the House, Yeah. right? Yeah. And it was on one issue. It was on a pushback on the Obamacare right. vote. Right now in the polling set, on almost every single issue and across the board, the unfavorability numbers for the president are exceptionally high for Biden. 
across the board on multiple issues. There's an anxiety amongst the electorate, whether it's COVID or the economy or jobs or you name it, and what we call in, in political terms the congressional um, the congressional generic ballot. That's when you ask, would you vote for a Republican for Congress and a Democrat? Not naming names. Yeah. It is the worst that it's ever been for Democrats no in the last three or four decades. No kidding. No kidding. Absolutely. Boy, you wouldn't hear that from reading well, the papers, and <laughs> I won't get you. <laughs> you wouldn't read. You wouldn't know that from reading the corporate media. I, I, good piece of information, George. On the money race, by the way, are Republicans competitive with Democrats, or is one party clearly way ahead of another when it comes to fundraising, or the ability, or not the ability, the um, sure, the ability. That's fine. The ability to spend money. Sure. So, so starting with the ability and working back, the the the, the way that the Democrats raise money. They definitely started it about 10 or 15 years before Republicans did in terms of small dollar contributions. The way that they are able to funnel money from Illinois and California and New York to states that are target states around the country is unbelievable. The majority of money that Kelly raised, the majority of money that Katie Hobbs, who's running for governor, is going to raise are going to be from out of state. They're going to be using a tool called Act Blue, where they raise small dollar donations from around the country. But I will say this. We always expect fairly consistently for the Republican candidate to be outspent by the Democrat candidate. It has been the case in most states. I'm not going to say in all instances there's self-funders and things like that. But in most instances, the, we expect the Republicans to be outspent by the Democrats in federal races. But from an outside spending perspective, the RNC, Republican National Committee, has raised more than their Democratic counterparts. The Senate Committee has raised more than their Democratic counterparts. The Congressional uh, Committee has raised more than their Democratic counterparts. And even in the political action committees, those outside organizations that spend money either supporting or attacking candidates, the conservative and more Republican ones have also mostly outraised. So it ends up kind of balancing out. But look, money's going to be a factor, but enthusiasm, and that's something you're going to hear me say a bunch, enthusiasm is going to be a bigger factor. Whose voters are more enthusiastic to vote? That's something that money can try to buy, but it's a lot easier when you just have enthusiasm and the wind in your back. Yeah. And right now, the wind is in the back of Republicans in a major way. Good to hear. That's confidence building. Can I keep you one more segment? Can I take a commercial break and come right back to you? Absolutely. Because I want to talk to you about the redistricting and uh, I want to talk to you about uh, the image of Arizona in the political um, in, in, in from the political gaze from the outside. You said the GOP, we're not Colorado, we're not becoming Colorado. That's great to hear. And yet, you know, we do have a majority of Democrats in our congressional delegation and two Democratic senators. But something tells me redistricting is going to play a part in changing that, too. We'll be right back with more from George Kaloff. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. George Kaloff of the Resolute Group here in town, political consultant, analyst, and statistician, is our guest. He's going to walk us through election um, information uh, as we go and um, go through uh, from here to November. Uh, George, uh, clean up, but possibly on my part, but also possibly a transition to the question of redistricting um, from afar in Arizona. Uh, that people will know we have a majority of congressional delegates who are Democrat and we have two Democratic senators to which um, you say still not a purple state, correct? Correct. Okay. Correct. And 
is, yeah. is is that because of the redistricting that we are going to be in the mode of cleaning up here now? I, I think partly because of redistricting and also partly because, look, politics, and, and, and I think especially in the last couple cycles, uh, and this gets back to my earlier point about the uniqueness of the type of mindset, the independent mindset of an Arizonan, the person matters. And I think, now again, we, we, we can get into these you know details later, sure. but I think candidates matter. And while, yes, there are two Democrat senators and there's a majority of Democrats that are congressional in delegation, I could probably go down tick by tick and explain why we all of those things. And also keep in mind that the two Senate races were all won by about a couple points. Yep. Um, it was the same candidate on the, you know, on the on the Republican side. Very difficult years for Republicans. There's a lot of things, and so combined redistricting, combined the dynamics of the country that we're in today, I think there's going to be a, a major course reversal. And obviously, if if it was a purple state, it would not course reverse. I think the way that it's about to, both at the local level, which we're going to talk about, yeah. and at the federal level. Yeah, I see. I agree with that analysis too. I've always thought the candidate mattered more than most people give credit to. You agree with that? I mean, you, you, without denigrating previous candidates on my part, um, you feel free to if you want to. I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. But the candidate really does matter, and uh, and 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 also these elections that put these two senators in office. They were kind of odd elections in and of themselves, just the way they came about, aren't they? They were anomalous. Let's Correct. put it that way. Okay. Exactly. And 2018 was a brutal year. I'll just say that. 2018 yeah. was a brutal year. Uh, and, and you know, look, Senator Cinema, you know, was you know, there was a district that was almost tailor-made for her during yeah. the last redistricting, which we can talk about a little bit. And then, you know, the rest is history, as we know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Talk to me about the redistricting. Um, let's uh, leave the legislative uh, state legislative districts for another time. Let's stay with the federal races for a moment, if we can. What are we going to what are we going? Wh- OK, we have the new final maps. We know what the new districts mm-hmm. are going to be. How does that shake out for the Republicans and Democrats? Absolutely. I mean, it, it in my estimation, it was a win for Republicans. Very candidly, though, and I'm sure Democrats and Democratic lawyers like Mark Elias are going to argue otherwise when invariably they're going to fire lawsuits. It could have been way better for Republicans. Uh, It actually was not. You know, we hear the word gerrymandering a bunch. I don't think I think if people use that, they're being dishonest. Okay, Uh, I'll be very candid in in certain political Republican circles. There was almost a disappointment Mm -hmm. uh, with with the outcome of redistricting, because, like I said, after what happened in 2011, where. Republicans really felt like they got the short end of the stick. Uh, this time it, it was, I think, fair, but definitely is going to lean to the right because this state leans to the right. So I think in the congressional delegation, high level, they can get deeper. I think it will be 6-3 this okay. election cycle. Okay. Probably, though, in a cycle that's not as good as this, would balance back out to 5-4 in the Republican direction, which I think is very fair and appropriate. But like I said, I think there could have been a way to draw these maps and make it 7-2. Okay. And then, you know, in a good year and 6-3 consistently. So the two that people are talking about the most that look like they became considerably more Republican are the seats now currently occupied by Democrats Tom O'Halloran and Ann Kirkpatrick. You agree with that? Those those two those two those two seats, those two districts have become more Republican? One hundred percent. Both of those are rural districts. And as part of, I believe, the realignment that we are seeing and we will continue to see in the next decade, I think those were trending. Definitely the O'Halloran seat in northern Arizona, I think, was very much so trending in the other direction. I'm convinced that a Republican would have won that under the old lines. I think it's an almost certainty 
that uh, the Republican nominee will win it under the new lines. And I think the Southern Arizona seat, um, you know, was trending in, in, in a way. And I think that will also in a year like this, I think that one could be on the bubble. But in a year like this, I think a, a Republican could win it by a decent single digit margin. Now, the one that's uh, curious to me, and you and I have spent a lot of time in the past on this. Uh, I don't know that we did in the final in the final maps, but you and I uh, offline, off air, have spent a lot of time on this. Is this area that I operate in? Actually, I live in what's currently District Nine, represented by Stanton. It covers a lot of Phoenix and uh, some a little bit of PV, a little bit. I don't think it hits Scottsdale much, but talk to me about what's happening with that district, the one that Greg Stanton represents right now. Absolutely. And and this is one, as you said, I've spent a lot of time yeah. talking with you and, and looking at it. And I was I knew for certain it was going to be chopped up. I really did not expect this way. And what I mean by that is that some of the less, I would say, Republican areas were given to Congressman Schweikert's district, okay. which has made that district and that seat, the current, the new District 1 is what it's called. It's made that a more of a toss-up. A little more vulnerable to David Schweikert, in other words. Exactly. Okay, okay. Exactly, exactly. Then Tempe, now clearly, I believe, and has always, you know, needed to be in this, Tempe is now in in another district, and then Ahwatukee is in a third district, right? Because this district snaked from Ahwatukee through Tempe up into the Arcadia, Biltmore, kind of uptown Phoenix area. But technically, the district that was nine is now called District 4, mm-hmm. but now it's anchored again. I did not expect this. It's anchored in Mesa, uh-huh. and it actually takes up a good percentage of the city of Mesa and actually is exceptionally more Republican than the old district. While Democrats still have a registration advantage, it was cut down tremendously, tremendously from the old District 9. Um, professionals like you talk in terms, in case people ever see these when they read, I don't know, The Republic or Roll Call or Hill or whatever, uh, they see things like R plus and D plus. Exactly. Can you explain what that means and then tell us how that shakes out in this in this new District 4, the previous District 9? Absolutely. So R plus, D plus means registration is obviously a big deal. The most important indicator, and I know this is going to sound like duh, common sense, George, but the most important indicator for how someone's going to vote is how they're registered, Uh of course. And so registration is a big thing we focus on. So when we say something is R plus five, we mean that there are 5% more Republicans than Democrats. Or D plus three, there's 3% more um, Democrats than Republicans. Even if independents are more or less, it doesn't matter. People are really focused on comparing Republicans and Democrats. Yeah, the party ID, sure. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. What what does that look like now for District 4 as opposed to what it was in District 9? Well, right now, District 4, and this is why I say it's a, it's a tremendous movement, District 4 now has a R plus of 0.2. Okay. So essentially it's even. Yeah. But you compare that with previously, and I may be off by a couple thousand, I think it was like a Democrat advantage of about 55,000 or 40,000 registrants. So, I mean, it, gets a, it was a major, major Democrat advantage, which, by the way, also to remind uh, sort of listeners, in 2011, after the last redistricting, District 9 started as a Republican seat. Yeah. But it was masterfully drawn for movement. And they knew, I'm convinced, people knew the trend lines, because obviously in someone in data, we talk trends more. So I don't care as much about where today is. I want to know where we were yesterday, today, and then I can hopefully predict where we're going to be tomorrow. Right. The trending was really bad for Republicans, and it ended up being a strong Democrat. Now it is essentially 
50-50, but a slight Republican edge, Nice, 0.2%. Nice. George, this will be a down payment. We're going to visit with you on Fridays and dig deeper into all of this stuff going forward. And if people want to send me email questions or call in with questions for you, George, on Fridays, we're going to go through the election with you. We really appreciate you being our resident expert. Thanks, Seth. Looking forward to being on. You betcha. George Kaloff from the Resolute Group. You can uh, check him out at theresolute.group. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Your show from here on out, Open Lines Friday. I did pose the question earlier, uh, the dispute between Ted Cruz and much of our base, the interview he did with Tucker Carlson last night. I'll play it for you in our next segment just because of the length. I want to give it its full ventilation Um, But a lot of you have had thoughts on the way, and I'm happy to kick off the discussion. For those that may not know the essence of the story, I'll just give it to you as fairly as I can. We'll play the entire audio of the argument he had with Tucker Carlson in a few moments. But effectively uh, and acknowledgingly giving it short shrift, Ted Cruz Um, described uh, the January 6th events as – or at least the January 6th uh, offenders as uh, terrorists. Um, He was called to the mat for that uh, by Tucker Carlson. He apologized for it, said he shouldn't have used the word. And um, a lot of people have been very, very, very upset for that use of that word terrorist by Ted Cruz, both before he was interviewed with Tucker and by my listening to a lot of talk radio today. Still, as I say, we'll give it the full uh, back and forth, the full audio from Fox News in our next segment. But Ryan has been patiently on hold. Ryan, I have a bunch of calls on this and other topics. You're welcome to talk now or wait till the next segment after I play the audio. It's up to you. You've been patient, so I want to give you the choice. Oh, I would love to go right now. Go right ahead, Go right ahead. And and before I say this, first off, I want to make clear I'm not singling out you, but kind of the the right-wing talking class as a whole. You can, sure. Go ahead. Um, No, and and in fact, and I mean this, I'm not just blowing smoke here. I do think you're better than most of the talking class. <laughs> you're very kind. Okay. So that's a bit. <laughs> Thank you. Having, having said that, you're still not where I would have. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I always, God <laughs> isn't finished with me yet, Ryan. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But, and this extends to Ted Cruz and certainly the Republican establishment and even those who think they're in touch with the base. Okay. They're not on this issue. Okay. Let me tell you what I did yesterday in four different locations. I stood up in a safe way in Scottsdale and said, at the top of my lungs, not quite yelling, but loud enough near the checkout, the January 6th protesters are all heroes. And everybody around me applauded. You guys don't get where we are. Those people are not terrorists. Those people are heroes. Those people are going to have statues built to them. Those people are going to serve in Congress. Those people need to be the entire talking class. Sean Hannity, oh, my God, he'd be, he's going to have to show me that jujitsu if we had a conversation right now. Those people are heroes. What they did that day made them heroes. Hold on a second, heroes Ryan. From- hold on, Ryan. Hold on a second. Um uh, what was the Sean Hannity point? I missed it. I didn't understand it. Everybody's talking like these people deserve to be punished at all. These are heroes. The entire way, the entire right-wing talking class is framing this. It is so detached from the base right now. 
Those people are not criminals. Who represents? Okay, okay, fair enough. Don't let's not yell. We don't have to. I'm sorry. That's I okay. So I, I, understand, I, I understand tempers, or at least energy is high. That's okay. But uh, we yeah. can we can have a calm conversation. Who represents the base the best on the national political scene as you see it? Because you said uh, we don't understand the base. Who represents it the best? The people who stand up and question every establishment every time it steps out of line, we've had it. Okay, but well, but is there a national political leader, for example? Let me let me ask you now one. You got one. Let me just real quick. Okay, but you didn't what answer mine. You didn't answer mine. Point? Is there a national? I, political, I, there may, the, the, your answer can fairly be there isn't. You may very well say no, but well, well, let me put it that way. I don't have a clear way to define it. Okay, okay. And, and in fact, I would say it's even evolving. Part of what's going on right now, some of us call it the Great Awakening. Okay. We're just awake. We question everything. Okay. We look at everything. We okay. do our own research, but really quick. Okay. What is the purpose of having a Second Amendment if when we see our government has been stolen, openly stolen from us, people can't even stand out there without guns? Because it's a and disputed people... question. It's a disputed yeah, well, question. It's, no, it's not. Not to us. I understand I, that, I but the Democrats thought that in 20... Issue. I understand that, but the Democrats thought yeah. that in 2016. I'm just giving you my answer. It's a disputed question. And they had question. no evidence. We do. That's not even an that's not that's an apple and an orange. All right. Well, let me ask you this. I do have to take a quick break here. It's commercial. I'll keep you because um, I do think you speak for a fair number of people, Ryan. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to keep you over the break. Uh, but I got to take it. Just ponder this question Maybe over down. the break and maybe come back to it when we when we do come back after the commercial break. And the question is this. What conditions do you think are legitimate? What conditions do you think are legitimate to analyze an election's fraud or not, fraud or lack of fraud, what do you need to see for it to justify violence? Because more Democrats thought Donald Trump, by by the polling, Washington Post did the most of it, more Democrats than Republicans thought Trump was illegitimate than Republicans do Biden, by 10 percent, by 10 percent. So what are those conditions? And would you have the same view if on that energy in the Democratic Party, they did the same thing? Okay, we'll come back to you when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. We're talking about the uh, dispute between Tucker Carlson and Ted Cruz. It's a retail example of perhaps a much larger dispute that Ryan in Phoenix, uh, who has patiently been on hold, uh, has um, I think it's fair to say uh, strong and differing thoughts than I do on it, and I wanted to give him his uh, his full uh, time and uh, and air here, Ryan. Um, I asked you if um, if there was a, a a condition that you could yep. establish as to when it's right to take up arms uh, in yep. in support of your political views. Well, let me say what. It, let me just alter it just a little. Sure, what would sure. prevent that? Okay. Yeah. And real quick, there's a false premise here. Okay. They did take up arms against us after the 2016 election in every city in America almost. They did do that a thousand times more violent than people on six. But as far as what would it take to prevent me from feeling that way, it would take that POS Brnovich getting off his butt and doing his job. Criminal prosecutions of obvious fraud. It's that simple. It's really that simple. We've watched it on videotape in how many six different states and nothing's being done. Nobody with an IQ over three and open eyes can accept this election as legitimate. Nobody. 
I mean, we could sit here for the next 47 hours going over the obvious fraud. Just get to work on watching Mike Lindell videos, and then I'll put you on track with another 20 people. There is literally a 1,000 hours of viewing to sit down and watch the obvious fraud here, and nobody's doing anything about it. So they stood up to do something about it. Now, let me ask you a question. You guaranteed me one, okay? Yes. What is the Second Amendment for if when people see their government being stolen, they can't even stand there without guns and take it back? Because those people are the new Boston Tea Party. Those people are the new American Revolution. Those people are heroes. Do you think those people are yeah. the new heroes? Do you think that what you're advocating is at all dangerous? And the reason I ask that is because it's you raised t- you, no, you raised it's... 2020 as yes. people taking up arms against their government, which I agree with you they did, arms. and we denounced, and we denounced, and it was a shame and a blot. And worse on the Democrats for not denouncing it. And I believe they, in fact, may have even set certain conditions that allowed for the excuse for violence for political reasons. When Nancy Pelosi was asked about a riot in Baltimore and she said people will do what people will do, I remember saying, okay, so does that? I remember saying at that time, the next time a tax bill goes down against the Republicans and certain Republicans decide based on that they want to storm the Capitol, will the just response be people will do will be what people will do? So my 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 concern is that they believe in what they did on 2020 in 2020 and they believe about the 2016 election as strongly or more so as the polls suggest actually more so than what you believe about 2020 than what you believe about the election in 2020 they believe as strongly as you do that trump was illegitimately elected and they believed as strongly as you do if not more so that the riots were justified in 2020 where does that end ryan so seth i just parse those two things apart and you just put them right back together okay you're talking apples and oranges what those people on January Let the record did reflect I have yet to insult you. And nor, go ahead. nor did they go up there with all violence. They did not. I've watched the videos. Wait, 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 wait. What did you just say? What was the sentence you that just they, said? You just put together all the violence. Like, they were up there doing violence. And I Was there I no violence the on January 6th? Not from, not from the people I'm talking about. Well, not from the one I've watched. I've watched 100 hours of people being tortured by Capitol Police out on the grass. You know, you've been asking lately about who's must read. It sounds like you need to read Gateway Pundit and watch the videos because there's all kinds of video of Capitol Police torturing innocent people outside I, of the I, I would ask day. you to send me a picture, uh, some video of Capitol Police Blue torturing. Simple, I'll send you a link. It's called Gateway Pundit. Okay, That's I'm familiar it. Go with on Gateway there. Pundit. You'll find 100 hours of it. Okay. And you know what? The simple fact of the matter is those people that day did not do it. And you can either watch the video that's already been released or you cannot. Because conflating those two things is just absolute BS. Ryan, 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 let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What would you say about someone who said this about January 6th? I want to be very clear. I unequivocally condemn the violence that we saw there. Violence and vandalism have absolutely no place in our country and no place in our movement. That was Donald Trump. You disagree with Donald Trump on that? The, because the people the who engaged no, in whatever took place on January 6th, the people that engaged in it were evidently doing so, as they say, on behalf of Donald Trump. So that's what, so what he said. The videotape, what about the videotape? And for the record, exactly. I haven't seen the videotape. I'm giving you the words of Donald Trump. Okay, I know. And I just told you that exactly as that is phrased, I'm okay with it. But let me ask you this. Wait, you're because okay I, with him I'm saying not, there was no, violence? You just told me there wasn't. Was what about self-defense? You said there wasn't violence. He said there was. I said that the people who I'm cheering for weren't. Do you not believe there's a false flag? 
Do you not believe? Have you not watched the endless videos of Antifa handing out baseball bats? No, Antifa. So okay. the people I'm talking about. And again, you're conflating them. That's the mistake you are making. You are making that mistake. I'm not you're sure what the mistake is I'm making. Tell me. Who are standing there being tased, beaten, shot with rubber bullets, a woman being beaten, tortured, stood up, and have mace put in her face again and again, just standing there, and you're conflating that. I'm with not. Metaphor. I'm not, Ryan. I'm not. I'm not conflating it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what took place inside the Capitol. You're talking about what took place outside. Talk about apples and oranges. Ryan, I, I think I've given you a fair amount of time. I'm asking if you can understand when you can't cite a national figure who represents that which you stand for, how can you tell me that they're working on behalf of any kind of an agenda that has any kind of possibility of taking root in this country when the very person they were engaging their violent acts on behalf of denounced them, denounced them? I mean, I think – that it's fair to say that between Donald Trump and Andy Biggs and Mark Levin and Laura Ingram and Dennis Prager and, you know, I can just go down the list. When they all universally denounced this stuff, you got to give me something a little bit more to hang my hat on other than other than we're just sick and tired of it and we're not going to take it anymore because I don't know who the we is. I don't understand who the we is. And if you're going to justify this kind of action when we think an election was stolen, be very, 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 very careful because the Democrats, as every poll has shown, believed 2016 was more fraudulent than Republicans do 2020. And if they outnumber us, and by the way, they have the mechanisms of much more power than we do. When it comes to these arguments about deploying the Second Amendment, not only are you going to disappear, tear up and bury the American flag, you're going to disappear and bury a lot of human lives. I just think you want to consider very carefully what you're articulating here. I think I was fair to you. I think I was fair to you. Ken is in Tempe. Hello, Ken. Hello, Seth. How are you? I'm good. Got me going a little bit. That's okay. Um, the conversation. I'm going to really whiplash it because that's okay. I'm going a whole different. That's all right. I'm going a whole. That's all right. Go ahead. I I say I, first of all, I really appreciate you talking about redistricting uh-huh. because I've been hoping to hear about this because it's so important. To yeah, it really is. It really and is. I I testified twice at the twenty at the last redistricting because it was such a fiasco. The independent was anything but. Um, but I'm just we really need to look at the implications. We need to know where those um, lines are and how we can yep. get the vote. You out. betcha. We're going to do more of it. The, the, the thing I re- was calling about was this may be more part of the boober, boomer generation. I got but, 15 uh, seconds, buddy. Sidney Poitier passed away. I saw uh, he that. He was just yeah. a wonderful oh, human Oh, my being. gosh, yes. He oh, my gosh. Ken, <laughs> thank you for pointing that out and bringing it up. I saw that. Guess who's coming to dinner? Everyone, please watch that this weekend. Great actor. Great movie. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Mike is in Maricopa. Welcome, Mike. How are you? Happy New Year, Seth. Thank you, sir. Happy New Year to you. Okay, very good. I got a couple of subjects to touch on. One, uh, we've been talking lately about uh, 
information influence operations. Yes. Uh, when when President Biden did his speech the other day on yesterday, 6 January, uh, he used a specific military term used in uh, psychological warfare operation. Uh, he used the term inflection point. Uh, it's not a some word that you would hear. I, I just... It seemed so out of place that he mentioned that. Uh, I, I'll come back to that. Now, uh, switch gears rapidly, and I'll come back to my point of about inflection point. Uh, we spoke the other day, and you'd come in with some Elvis Presley music, and then I mentioned it was my birthday on Elvis Presley's oh, birthday, yes, and yes, you asked right, me to that's call right, that's right. On, on that day. Now, I don't know if that was a trick question, because you see, actually, his birthday is tomorrow. So, uh, <laughs> no, I didn't. Were you asking me to call in on Saturday when nobody's there? <laughs> No, <laughs> I did okay. not mean it that Very way. Good. I was working on the okay. pre-Gregorian calendar, which was put it, which would put his birthday last week, actually. Okay, yeah, either that or you want me to wait until next year. We turn it up to you, Mike. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, uh, also tomorrow is David Bowie's birthday, and the guitarist for the Doors is Robbie Krieger. So that's just, it's not just, that part. Oh, no, but, it's uh, a lot. Do you know David Bowie's original born birth name? Uh, Davy Jones. Yeah, and he had to change it, it because the monkey's guy was more popular than him. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and then, but uh, why did he call it Bowie for? I don't know. Because he liked Jim Bowie. Oh, is that right? Is that right? I didn't know that yes, second part of it. Okay. Good. 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 Okay. Uh, tying in with your uh, monologue uh, about you know, hate and speech and all this uh, other things. And, you know, my, my big question is my ancestors didn't arrive here until 1880, and I have no history in my family. That's about when slavery. mine came here, by the way. We're, we're yeah. the same there. And, yeah. But now I'm supposed to play reparations because of the color of my skin. I, I'm confused on that. Uh, uh, real quick here, because I see it's 57. Okay, about one year ago, ABC came out with a documentary. It was called Homegrown Hate, The War Amongst Us. Mm -hmm. And there were uh, quite a few things. Uh, the uh, They didn't mention anything in Dallas-Fort Worth. There were five police officers right. killed by a BLM right. supporter. Right. Uh, right. the, the attacks on President Trump have all failed, and the only option for the Democrats is to spark a race war. It's uh, like Saul Alinsky to blame the enemy for what you're doing. Uh, they they uh, showed pictures of riots and arson and firecrackers, and then they showed people waving a Confederate flag, but they didn't mention Antifa or BLM. I could go on here for a, a good 30 minutes, but once again, I checked yesterday, but Antifa.com still <laughs> yeah, someone someone cleverly Yeah, someone cleverly did that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Mike, happy birthday. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.